Welcome to the Health, Wealth, and Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Hagen, a nutrition coach, entrepreneur, food freedom expert, and forever a recovering disordered eater. I am here to help you own your enoughness, find your very own food freedom, and achieve your health and wellness goals in a way that gives more than it takes. Each week, I will provide you with insight and inspiration surrounding no-nonsense nutrition, mindset, motivation, body image, confidence, and other wellness wisdom. Welcome back to the show, my friend. I am here with Coach Lauren for another Q&A podcast episode. Lauren, how are you feeling today? I am feeling really good. How about you, Nicole? You know what? I was thinking about this before we hopped on because I knew that you were going to ask me that question. (laughs) I'm meh. And it's not a bad meh. It's just like a, my son is going through a little sleep regression. So I'm waking up at night. That's fine. He's been a dream sleeper. So I have nothing to complain about. We have a little like cold, nothing major, Mm -hmm. just like runny nose, scratchy throat type situation. And I... (laughs) injured my back this week, deadlifting. And it's my own fault. Yeah. I just was kind of like, Oh, let's see how much weight I can lift instead of following my program. It's nothing bad. But since having the chronic history with back pain, it just freaks me out. Every time I have a little setback and my husband has to be like, calm down. Injuries are normal. Like it's the cost of doing business. If you're going to be strength training and throwing weight around. So I'm fine, but it's not like my best week ever, but here we are. We all have weeks like that, right? We all have weeks like that. But I, I mean, to counterpoint to you, we've actually been having a pretty smooth week. The sun has been shining here. It's a little warmer than I'd like. Um, I have my half marathon is coming up on Sunday. Kids are like happy in school and sports right now. We're, we're in a little bit of a, of a groove. <laughs> like, we'll see how long this lasts. What's the expression? Like, it takes the rain for us to appreciate the sun. You're in yes. a sunny week. And no idea your half marathon was this weekend. It is Sunday. Yeah, we are ready for it. And we like typical parent fashion. We actually have a jam packed day afterwards, but I'm excited to go. It'll be it's a little warmer than I would like, but it's going to be fun and it's flat. And I live in a very hilly area. So I'm looking forward to like, I feel like it might feel, dare I say, like a little easy compared to training. So I'm looking I'm like looking forward to it. Okay, so have you run? 13 miles in your training up to race day or will race day be the first time you're running 13 miles? The first time in the training. So this is my fourth half marathon and I've done the same training. I did it for the last one and I felt super prepared. So I just followed that same plan. But to answer your question, no, the last two weeks of training were two six mile runs and a 10 mile run. So 22 miles for the week, two weeks in a row. And then today was like, or this week was a light week, three and four miles, and then race day on Sunday. So I'm feeling really ready. The race carries you through the last few miles. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, that was something that was news to me. So the first time I trained for a half, which is a long time ago now, I didn't realize you don't train up to or through. My brain was like, okay, I need to be able to run 15 miles if the plan is to run 13 miles on race day, because what if it's not my best day ever? And then when I saw the training plan and it was like, oh no, you're just going to run up to like 10 miles or 11 miles. I was like, what? This doesn't make sense. I'm not prepared. But the adrenaline, just kind of the the vibe and you don't need to push your body to your max to know you can get there. No, and it really is. It's crazy. The impact the race has on you and running with my husband, Tim, he 
likes to like get the crowd up. So he's like running, like pumping up his arms, trying to get people to start cheering. And it adds like such a fun aspect to it. Like, it's just fun. It's just such a fun thing to do together. Does he train? Yeah, he's doing it with me on Sunday. He did it with me in the spring and he's doing this one. How and cool. The spring one, he did not want to do. He wasn't too pumped about it. And then he signed us up for this one. And there's another one in a few weeks that he was like, should we do it? <laughs> I was like, no, we shouldn't. <laughs> You've turned him into a half marathon fan. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's so cute for you guys to be able to do that together. It's fun. Oh, I wish we lived close so I could come cheer you on. Oh my God. I would love that. (laughs) That'd be so fun. Okay. Well, you have to like send me a sweaty selfie afterwards or something. I can't wait to to celebrate. How fun. Oh my gosh. Okay. Should we get down to the questions? Absolutely. We have three juicy ones this week. And the first one is kind of several questions in one. So we may have to break this down a little bit. But the question is, how did your relationship with others, your eating habits, and your thought patterns change when you became a mom? Okay. I feel like, like you said, I want to break it down into those three sections because they're very different. They are. Um, So I'm going to take the first one first, relationship with others. Because... I have talked about this before. The first thing that pops in my mind is the fact that I grew up with a Weight Watcher mom. I grew up with a mom who's very black and white in her thinking about food. And the biggest thing that changed was I went from being like annoyed by it (laughs) to very firm boundaries. That's not allowed. That's that talk is not allowed. I will ignore it or I will call it out. But that kind of talk is not allowed, no matter how well-intentioned it is. We don't talk about food being good or bad. We don't talk about somebody being good or bad because of what they're eating. We don't talk about bodies, whether it's he's so skinny is a comment I get about my son sometimes or anything at all. I have set very firm boundaries with that. And to a certain extent, others in my life, not calling on my mom, I'm close with my mom, but (laughs) that is one person in particular that it jumps out at me that I, yes, had had to set some very firm boundaries with that person in particular. When it comes to others, when, you know, like since having kids and becoming a mom, oh gosh, I feel like it's only improved relationships in other aspects because you can relate to somebody on such this like life changing, like being being a mom like changes who you are at your core. I feel like for better, or for worse, <laughs> you are like not the same person you can't be right. You know, this like person that you are responsible for that you, yes, that you are, that is everything to you. So I guess in a way there's a lot of positive too, because you can connect with somebody on such a deeper level. You can relate to what they're going through or what they've gone through and they can give you advice or you can give somebody else advice. And there's a really deep connection there from one mom to another. So that's also a really great positive change, I feel like. What it's funny you? you mentioned that. Yeah, I was just watching some... Okay, so here's like an admission I need to make. Uh, I deleted TikTok off my phone because I was spending too much time like scrolling and watching dog videos and things like that. Right. So I was like, okay, this is not serving me. I'm going to delete it. Now I just watch Instagram Reels instead which my husband pointed out to me the other day. He was like, you deleted this and now you're just replacing one behavior with another. I don't think I'm watching as much, but that remains to be seen. Maybe I need to work on that still. Nevertheless, I was watching an Instagram reel 
And they were talking about how sometimes they were referencing fathers will say, Hey, I'm going to eat dinner. Can you watch the baby? I'm going to shower. Can you hold the baby? And the mom is then holding the baby while trying to eat dinner, holding the baby while vacuuming, holding the baby while trying to like put her mascara on, you know, all the things. And Patrick is an amazing father, but he has a habit of doing that. And my brain, we're new parents figuring it out. My brain is like, what do you think I do during the day? Like you just, yeah, you can eat dinner, figure out what to do with him though. Like, yes, you can shower, take him with you into the bathroom. And so just seeing that was like, oh, It's so nice knowing that I'm not the only one navigating this. Like, I think there's just so many things about being a mom that we can relate to one another. It's just like when someone else online talks about something that's so relatable, you're like, oh, she gets me. And I think that that's what motherhood has done for me a little bit anyway. Yes, 100%. I, I will say it is like a trigger point for me when people say like, when people are praising fathers for like feeding their kid or taking them to the park and moms are literally never, no one has ever been like, what an amazing mom. She got her kid dinner tonight. Like that's never been said. And that is a big trigger for me. And, and honestly, it should be a trigger for men too. Like the bar should be a little higher than the fact that they can feed their kid or get their kid dressed. Like that shouldn't be praise worthy. We should, I mean, all parents should be praised because parenting is so, so hard, (laughs) but yes, parents, dads, getting dads to be like a 50, 50 and really understand, I think is hard just because our, my brain works very different from Tim's and he's a, a, like you said, he's a fantastic dad and he has, we have older kids. So we've gone through that baby phase. I don't need him to hold the baby but I do need him to step up in other ways, like school emails, sports practices, staying on top of birthday presents for parties and things like that. Like I need a partner there. And I do as annoying as it might be to say, I feel like they need a little bit more guidance. Whereas for moms, it just falls on moms automatically. And it needs to, it needs to be a conversation with each couple. Like how does this work for you? What works for each person and each family to split up the work so that, it isn't just all on the mom and that the mom is not being like shit on why the dad is being like praised, but they're doing the same thing. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. It's mental load is oh. what I have been doing a lot of reading about and what I've experienced. We actually just navigated this the other day, Patrick and I. So I have, I've taken it on myself to make all of Cole's food from when he started solids. I don't have to do this. It was just something I felt particularly passionate about making his purees and kind of assembling his meals. So my husband will often ask, well, what should he eat? Despite the fact that there are several options in the fridge, there are other options in the freezer. And at this point, he's 13 months old. So he can eat pretty much whatever, as long as you chop it up small enough for him. And the other day he asked me this question and I turned to look at him and I was like, sweetheart, you can decide what he has for dinner tonight. Like these are the options. If there's nothing that he is interested in eating or maybe there's nothing in the fridge because we ate the last of it, you can easily toss some things in the blender or like put some things together on a plate. I need your help taking some of this mental load off of me. So while he was feeding our son, it was still like asking me what he should eat while I was trying to get something else accomplished. So sometimes it's, being more intentional about asking for help. And that was actually one of the things that I had thought about 
my relationships with others have changed in that I depend on others for help more. My husband, certainly, but my parents are our childcare right now, which I am immensely grateful for because I couldn't do this. I can't be like CEO. I can't be nutrition coach. I can't be all of the things that I want to be while also being the primary parent. And I love having both of those roles to play, but I do need help. So I depend on others for help a lot more. It is harder to coordinate intimacy with my husband. And we find that we have to be a lot more intentional with our time. So we just celebrated our seventh anniversary. And while we were going out to dinner for a little date night, I was like, what do you want for the next year? Like we always try to do a little assessment. Like, okay, what went well this past year? What's one thing we kind of wish uh, would have been different? And what do you want moving forward? And we both said, oh, we definitely need like a weekly meal out or a date night. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. Like, I mean, date night could be, let's make a pizza at home or let's have something intentional where it's just the two of us and we go out to breakfast. But we find it's a lot of, you know, parenting logistics and we're not actually sitting down to have a conversation with each other because by the end of the day, like I'm pooped. I want to lay in my bed and read my romance novel and like not have to talk to you about a stressful day that you had, you know? So that was definitely something else that has changed when I think about relationships. I, I'm i going to expand on that for me personally. I actually think, and again, I'm in a very different parenting place than you are. I think our relationship with my husband has really grown in an amazing way because we have to be teammates. This like preteen grade school, everybody has a thousand activities time in our lives is really stressful and really hard. And like, if we, we are constantly kind of looking at each other and just like cracking up over the stupidity of it all. Like it's, it's, it's insanity. It's crazy. Sometimes the kids are like sweet little angels and sometimes they are just monsters that you just want to escape from. And if you don't have a partner, you can like that, you know, is fully in your corner and that you can laugh through. Like, I think the fact that we can laugh through so much of it is, is the reason we're surviving it. (laughs) The reason we're like, our relationship is thriving and doing really well. I think because we are such a strong support team for each other and our sense of humor has stayed in contact. Cause if it is, it's like in the chaos, if you aren't laughing at it, then you're just going to be like crying and freaking out and losing your mind. So we are really good at that. And our relationship has like grown in such a way that I could never have predicted pre kids. And it, it is, it's this just like chaotic time of life that we're in right now. (laughs) Oh, I love that. And and can wait to get to that place yeah. because it sounds like a lot. Did it? <laughs> I think for us, it's more of a, so obviously Cole is still young and we have two young dogs too. And I am the person that they love. The, I don't want to say this for Cole, but the dogs <laughs> love me way more <laughs> than they love my husband. Like they want to sleep on my side of the bed. If we did that little like, Instagram challenge, like who would they follow? It would be me. And Mm -hmm. it's probably just because I'm home with them more and I'm the one that gives them more treats. But a lot of time and energy gets put into Cole and London and Wesley are two golden retrievers. And then I feel like at the end of the day, my husband's like, what about me? And I'm like, sorry, I've got nothing left. (laughs) So that will be something we'll have to navigate moving forward in terms of like, okay, we've got to show up as a team. We have to delegate. We have to do this together. 
every single mom is relating to your comment. I actually posted this on Instagram the other day. Like, why do my children only talk to me, ask me for things, demand things from me, ask me questions, and will ignore their very willing and capable father who's a foot away from them? I I will, like, laugh. I open the door to the house. I'm not even all the way in. And I've got three people in my face asking for things. Their father has been there the whole time. It just doesn't matter. I'll never forget last year when I was in Italy, (laughs) I called to say hi. And I am asked, where's my library book? Can I have this? And I was like, I'm in Italy. Can you please ask your dad these questions? There's no way he's, he's not answering these for you and telling you just to ask me. It's just this mom thing, this universal mom thing. Everybody needs mom all the time. Mom is the dependable one. Mom knows the answer to every question. And I have found this no matter how much of an equal partner the dad is. There's something about moms and kids. They just go to the mom 99% of the time. And I it love is a it. Very draining and exhausting. It, yes, it's great. They love and, me so much. And yeah, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. <laughs> I love it, and it's exhausting. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. That's parenting in a nutshell. <laughs> what about your eating habits? Have your eating habits changed since kids? So a lot of my not awesome eating habits kind of happened in the early years of parenting because I was a stay at home mom. Tim was working very long hours. And I was a stress eater at night. That was my only way I knew how to like take time out for myself. And that very much led to that kind of binge restrict cycle for me for a while. So in a way, I went through that kind of how we were talking at the beginning. There's peaks and valleys. That was not an awesome point for me. And now as my kids and especially my daughters get older, knowing how I grew up and the impact that had on me, it's so important, like top priority that they get a better example and that we eat balanced meals because we want to feel good and that we eat treats because it's fun and there's nothing wrong with that. And there's no black and white thinking. And in a way, I think I could even credit them with really helping me heal and get through that and giving me a really deep reason why. Like I always say, I have two deep reasons why I prioritize my health. One is for my kids because I want to set a really good example. I want, and then the other one is longevity. I want to be around for a long time. I want to be capable. I want to have a high quality of life for as long as I can. So yes, my eating habits have changed for the worse. And then they've changed for the much, much, much better <laughs> due to having children. I really do credit them with, with helping me get through like a really hard time in my life with, when it comes to food and my relationship with food. In your defense, it's been what, a nine-year journey though? Like since you had your Ours oldest? 12. 12. Oh my gosh. Okay, never mind. 12, <laughs> 12 yeah. years. So that's a long time to be navigating a relationship with food. It's no wonder things have kind of ebbed and flowed. Yes, exactly. What about you? I know I'm you're talking 13 about months in. <laughs> 13 months in. Yeah. So there's still room for things to change. Honestly, the first thing that popped in my mind is meals are less scheduled, less structured, simply because time just evaporates. I think you like, I don't know when children come into the picture, it's just all of a sudden time speeds up. And I find that I go longer stretches of time without eating, which is not ideal because I find sometimes if I wrap up my last coaching call, I come out of the office, it's time to eat. We take the dogs for a walk. It's time for Cole to eat. I should specify. We take the dogs for a walk. Maybe there's not enough time for the whole family to eat together. And then it's bedtime. And then it's like 7.38. And I'm like, I didn't have dinner. 
I'm starving. And so then I tend to eat like a larger quantity because I didn't get to honor my hunger when it initially presented itself. So that's something I've kind of had to work through in terms of, okay, well, can I grab half a protein bar right now? Or can I grab, you know, a hard boiled egg or some turkey jerky and then know that I'm going to have my meal a little bit later on? So having those quick protein options has been super helpful in terms of something like very tangible. The other thing that I noticed, uh, very easy to pinpoint before coal, I drank Diet Coke when I was at the airport. Like, oh, yay, fun little travel day. I'm going to have a Diet Coke. I have a Diet Coke every day now. And it's not necessarily because I need it. Like maybe at the beginning, the newborn stage, I was like, oh, I need this caffeine because I'm not a coffee drinker. Now I don't, but it's just become something that I look forward to and enjoy. So yeah, those are the two things that have changed in the last year. I am here for the Diet Coke, although I'm a Diet Dr. Pepper girl. Every day, it is something I look so forward to. (laughs) It's such a fun, tasty little treat in the middle of the day for me. And it is nice, like little caffeine boost, not quite as much as like coffee. You just get a little bit to get you through the rest of the day, I feel like. It's it's very helpful. Yeah. 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 Not bad things. Like I said, just different. And Mm -hmm. we'll see how they continue to evolve over time. Who knows? I have found that my thought processes, so to get to the last part of this individual's question, have changed in large part surrounding food. So talking about things that I say to Cole when we're eating, like I might want for him to finish the entire container, right? Because I think, oh, this is an appropriate amount of food. This will fill you up before bed. You won't wake up tonight. But he might decide halfway through he's had enough and just starts throwing it everywhere, slapping the spoon out of the air. And I have been so intentional about saying things like, oh, are you telling me your belly's full? You've had enough? As opposed to things like, cool, you really need to eat more or you didn't finish this because I do not want to encourage the clean plate mentality. Similarly, thinking about a wide variety of foods. So the other day, as an example, I don't keep meaning to throw Patrick under the bus. He doesn't listen to the podcast. It's cool. Um, but he, my mom. <laughs> he was asking me to go eat my watermelon elsewhere because Cole wanted watermelon so bad because I was eating it and didn't want to eat, you know, the protein dominant meal that was meant to be eaten. And he was like, he can't have that until he's done. And I said, wait a second. We want him to have choice to eat what he wants. And we don't want to make something off limits because then he's going to desire it more. So I actually follow a friend of mine, a registered dietitian. She has a, I believe he's two and a half year old at home. And sometimes he asks for a little, it's like a mini ice cream cone with his breakfast. And she gives it to him on his breakfast plate. And she's also recorded that several times He will eat the other breakfast foods and just leave the ice cream on the plate. But he just wanted it. It's like something that's tasty and he wants to know he can have it and that it's not off limits, but he doesn't actually eat it half the time. And while I'm not giving Cole ice cream for breakfast necessarily, it is interesting to me that I grew up with like the, oh no, that's for later. That's a treat mentality. We have to wait and kind of earn that food. And I'm being very conscientious about how I think and talk about food and how much we're eating or, you know, honoring his body. I have done when they were younger, I did that trick of like, I would put their treat on their dinner plate just with their other food to try to neutralize it. I will say, (laughs) dose of reality here, 
the older they get, the harder feeding them has become. My, my youngest is insanely picky and it's, I try not to make it a battle. It's very, very challenging. It's like testing me in ways, testing my patience in ways that I never knew. Um, feeding all of them can be challenging because we have one vegetarian. We have one who loves any and all things meat. We have Sydney who doesn't really eat much at all, like her very limited palate. And and I have always tried to present sweets as an option to them. And it is still this thing in all of their lives that is very, very elevated, this like thing they have to get all the time. So in practice, it's still really hard at this stage in my life. So my kids are seven, almost 10 and 12. And, and it's still a process, but I am very intentional with how I speak. Same as you, you know, Sydney, especially will be like, did I eat enough? And I always say, how do you feel? Like I never say yes or no. I always throw back. How does your stomach feel? Um, Because logistically, a lot of times, like I need you to be full because we have now a couple hours worth of stuff to go do, or you have a soccer game to go play. Like you can't do that on an empty stomach. So I do need to make sure you are eating enough and you just have decided that you're actually full versus I'm kind of bored or I, I feel like I'd rather have like a handful of pretzels or something. So we're learning as we go. It's very challenging. And I think I've spoken about this on the podcast before and something I always try to remind myself too. I grew up eating Taco Bell, eating sugary cereal for breakfast, eating, you know, all kinds of things. And now I am a couple years into really prioritizing my health and feeling really good. My kids will be okay. <laughs> Even if they're not eating optimally right now, I'm hopefully just providing them the tools. I'm always modeling how I would like them to eat. I am providing them with the options for them to try regularly. There's always vegetables at our meals. There's always protein at our meals. So I always try to remind myself, it'll be okay. She'll be okay. Sydney will be fine. They'll all be fine. I just have to keep modeling the best I can and giving them the options, like you said, and being very intentional with my language. But for all those parents out there, yeah, it's really frustrating. (laughs) So cut yourself some slack. I'm sure you're doing the best that you can. And I'm going to guess that your kids will turn out just fine. I think a lot of it is access. So even if like Sydney or Cole decides, oh, no, I don't want that like green thing or I don't want the protein option. Them growing up knowing, oh, that's always an option I can choose. Like I have access to choose that if and when they decide to is so important. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the other side to that is not shaming them for eating the treat or the sweet, you know, like I think that that is something that is probably different from how we grew up that we're intentionally trying to talk differently about so that they have a different relationship with fun foods and beverages than we did. Exactly. And I will say Sydney is getting a little bit better. They all know if they want to pack their own lunch or make their own plate or whatever it is, I have kind of trained them in a way where like, okay, do you have a protein option? That is always something they know that that is important to have on a plate. Now, whether that is the protein I've provided for them, or maybe it's a yogurt cup from the fridge. I try to just be like, great, you have some protein. And in my head, I can think that's not what I wanted you to eat. (laughs) But I have to, like you said, I can't micromanage and shame. And if they're making an effort, I want to applaud that. So 
Yes, there are. They know they, they I have taught them about protein options. And I think that's a lesson that has sunk in for all three of them. They're pretty good about that. So it's just, yeah, getting them to eat, you know, a little more vegetables would be fantastic. A little less sweets would be fantastic. But they're kids. It's a work in progress. They'll get there. And I think for all parents, myself included, it's like trying not to drive yourself crazy with it because yeah. you can drive yourself crazy with it. Yeah. Okay. Question number two, now that we spent like 40 minutes on the first one, I have successfully lost weight by tracking my food, but now it's starting to feel obsessive. How can I transition to eating intuitively? This is a good one because I think it's something so many people can relate to. Okay. I have been successful tracking my food, but now I'm because I don't want to do this forever. And there's, I feel like personally, there's one big component here that's, that is an important um, thing to focus on. And that is like trusting in yourself and trusting in your body that your body will tell you what it needs. And that's really scary because for a long time, you were only trusting this external app, right? This app telling you what your body needs. And you were offloading that trust to the app. And now you're internalizing it for yourself. I personally feel that most people are going to benefit most from taking this slowly, taking it like I'm actually going to borrow from Jordan Syatt right now. He recommends, and I, and I agree with this. If you need to take it like for one month, you go from tracking seven days to six days a week. Great. Just want, just take off one day a week for a whole month. And then the second month you take off another day and you just like slowly build up that trust in yourself that you're fully capable of eating, listening to your body and trusting that you can give it what it needs. Using those tools and that education that you've gained from tracking. I do think tracking can be so helpful. It teaches you what proper portions look like. It teaches you what pro- your protein intake throughout the day looks like. You can utilize those. You pr- you know more than you think. You just have to put in the reps to build that trust with yourself. And that's why I do think personally, I feel like most people will have the most success going at it slowly and just taking one day off at a time. If you're tracking seven days a week right now, just track six, see how that feels, build up that trust. Then when you feel comfortable, take off another day. That's really, to me, the best way to do it. What do you think? I've also seen a lot of success by only tracking certain meals or like you mentioned, certain days. So for example, I'm thinking of a client in particular, her meals were very structured, like breakfast, lunch, dinner, pretty beautiful, pretty balanced. Like she never, and most of her meals were made at home. So she was never super concerned that those meals were going to push her over her calorie goal or that they were going to be completely carbohydrate based. But the tricky part for her were like the bites, licks and tastes between meals and the nighttime snacking. So we eventually weaned her off to just logging her snacks and trying to keep those within or below a certain calorie range, because she knew that's what was going to be over most of the time, or that's what was going to put her over her calorie goal and therefore stunt her desired fat loss. I've also had clients where, again, their work week is very consistent and it's usually Friday through Sunday where they're eating out or they're not sure how many calories are in something because it's different than what they've typically eaten. And so they just log Friday through Sunday. And I think sometimes we can wean off of an app by 
learning to trust ourselves with the meals that are more repetitive and more consistent. You don't need to log breakfast if you've logged breakfast every day for the past however many months or every day for the past however many years. Like trust yourself enough to know that it's the same breakfast. Your body's going to know what to do with it. You will be fine. I also think sometimes we just have to, and this goes completely against what we were just saying in terms of weaning. Sometimes we just have to rip the bandaid off and prove to ourselves nothing catastrophic is going to happen if I don't log this day. I'm not going to gain a hundred pounds. I'm not going to all of a sudden feel like absolute garbage. Nothing bad is going to happen if I try to listen to my hunger and fullness cues, try to follow the balance plate method, knowing that I'm getting a protein, a fiber, a carbohydrate, a fat, and not opening up my fitness pal, not opening up, lose it. And that one time starts to build self-efficacy because then the next day you're like, I actually did that. I don't need the app. I wonder if I could do it again a second day. The app is always there. If let's say all of a sudden you're invited out to eat and you're like, oh, I'm a little nervous about this. Okay, pull it back out for a day occasionally or for a weekend occasionally. But I think sometimes we just have to prove to ourselves that we can do it once or we can do it for half a day or for one meal. And then we can slowly build up our belief in our ability to listen to our body, which is a skill that's built over time. It's not just something that happens. So I think this is where it gets a little sticky because if you have learned how to create results by way of tracking, and then you just stop cold turkey You may not know how to listen to your hunger and fullness cues. You may not know the difference between true hunger and emotional or psychological driven hunger. You may not know how to build a balance plate without having my fitness pal to tell you what your macronutrient breakdown is. Of course, these are the things that we teach all of our clients to do. But if you have previously subscribed to a diet that relied on my fitness pal to tell you whether you've had a good, I'm using air quotes, successful or goal supportive day, It may be very difficult to translate that into how do I listen to my body? How do I eat intuitively? Because you have no idea. So I do think it sometimes might require working with someone or taking the time to build those skills outside of the app and then using the app sort of as like a filler if needed. Like, okay, I can do a little audit for a couple of days. It's been a couple of months since I've logged, but no longer feel dependent on it. When you brought up a good point in there, what is the fear surrounding take like not logging your food, especially if there's a decent amount of repetition? The fear is generally I'm going to gain back everything. And and I think there's a lot to examine there. But if you it's kind of like, did the diet really work if you're if you have to follow it exactly for the rest of your life? So, yeah, I think that's a good examine. Like, why are you so nervous? Do you not have trust in yourself? Do you not know what your hunger and fullness cues are? Are you afraid that without this, you know, accountability of an app, you're all of a sudden going to be like binging on cookies and cakes? What is the fear there? Identify that. And then like we've been saying, just take it a day, a meal, a snack, whatever at a time and start putting in the reps and the practice to identify your hunger and fullness cues and to Just trust in yourself and your body's ability to tell you what it needs. Here's what's also helpful for me. So I have mentioned before, I'm an analytical thinker. My brain loves numbers. Now, numbers don't serve me very well when it comes to my relationship with food and with certain health uh, behaviors because I can become obsessed with them. Reference my history that I've talked about before in many podcast episodes. But here's what's helpful for me to have learned. I like logging 
because it feels very precise. It feels very accurate. It's not. We believe that it is because a specific number is written on the back of a nutrition label. A specific number is popping up in my fitness pal. And at the end of the day, we can take a deep breath because we only ate a specific number of calories. And I don't want to break any hearts, but I'm here to tell you that that specific number, not actually the number of calories you ate. Not exactly. Because nutrition labels can be off by 20%. People can just randomly put entries in my fitness pal. It may not be accurate. In fact, I find a lot of entries on my fitness pal where the calories don't match up with the macronutrients because somebody just input and it was incorrect. And that's not even talking about, and I just kind of mentioned this in a recent podcast episode talking about hormone versus calorie deficit debate. We don't absorb all of the calories that we eat. Some of us absorb more, some of us absorb less. So there's so much that goes into the number of calories that we consume every day. My fitness pal is just giving you a false sense of control, but you don't actually know how many calories you're taking in. Just like your Apple Watch or your Fitbit gives you a false sense of control, but you're not actually burning that many calories. I mean, when I hop on the stair climber for my cardio day for the week, I see that I'm burning an astronomical amount of calories. I don't even look at that number anymore. I can't even tell you how many calories it tells me I'm burning because I know that it's complete bullshit. It's just an arbitrary equation that's not factoring for my fitness level, how often I'm on the stair climber. So my body has gotten very efficient at it. And just the fact that those calculators tend to overcompensate for how many calories we're burning anyway for our active minutes. It's not as precise as we think it is. We've just put trust in an external measure of control. And what this individual is asking is how can I transfer that trust to myself? How can I make it an internal control? And that takes time. So you're going to have to be patient with yourself. And that's where the weaning comes in. You don't have to cold turkey, stop tracking if that's what your success has been built on. But I also think, you know, with every repetition, you get a little stronger. So sometimes it's I don't feel ready for this, but let me try a day. Let me just rip the bandaid off and see if I can do it and prove to myself that like the sky's not going to fall. I can vividly remember having that feeling when I was working through this myself or working through like overeating tendencies, like coming away from a, you know, circumstance where I felt like I had, had done well and like hit the mark thinking, oh, I can do that. <laughs> I just did that. And every time builds that confidence a little bit more. Like I can really remember that feeling of almost like shock, like, oh, I'm not just destined to overeat at every party or to overeat every time I, you know, don't hit my numbers perfectly. I actually am capable of doing it in a way of like eating in a way that feels good to me. What is like, and it's almost surprising, but then the more you do it, the less surprising it is. And just the more mainstream and routine and habit that it becomes. So like we've been saying, put the reps in, be patient. The trust will come. I've gone through it. I know we both have had to wean ourselves off of tracking. You can get there. Just be patient and kind to yourself along the way. And you're also taking so much education and information with you. So we talk about all the time, tracking can be a very helpful tool, can also be a very disordered behavior, but you're, I have not tracked for years at this point. I could very confidently tell you approximately how much protein I get in the average day, 
right? And if I were to log today, I would probably be within several grams of how much protein I'm actually taking in because I have the knowledge of, oh, okay, when I eat a serving of protein, that gets me about 25 grams of protein. So as long as you're not kind of like spinning your wheels and forgetting everything that you know, you don't need the app anymore because you can just think about, okay, well, am I prioritizing a protein at every meal and snack? Okay. If I do that, that's about a hundred grams of protein in a day. I know I get a little extra protein from other sources. So maybe that puts me about 110, 115 grams. Okay. Is that enough for my goals? Is that enough given, you know, what I'm hoping to achieve? You're not all of a sudden just going in blind. You have a ton of information and data that you've collected from your tracking days. Use that feedback and Again, I'm saying all of this and it might come across like, oh, that's easy for you to do. Yeah, because I have years of experience and I also have had support. It's much easier to do when you have someone else helping you to translate the information from MyFitnessPal or a similar calculating app to, okay, how can I do this on my own now? So shameless plug for coaching. That's exactly what we can help you do. 100%. I think it's one of the most valuable things you can get out of coaching. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, because it's forever. So I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone say, oh, yeah, I'm successful because of calorie counting. I'm successful because of keto. I'm successful because. But now what? Because I don't want to do this forever. If you can translate success from whatever external diet or tracking app you were using to now body awareness, hunger and fullness recognition and nutrition education that works for your body, you've got the game plan for the rest of your life. Yes. I gave a thumbs up as though people could see me, but yes, I agree fully. (laughs) I agree with your thumbs up. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Last question, because we're running out of time because we're very long winded as per usual. Is it possible to build muscle while in a caloric deficit? I've heard that it isn't, but I'm feeling stronger. It is and it isn't. There are a certain group of people where, yes, you can build muscle in a caloric deficit. And these people are generally people with large amounts of weights to weight to lose, people who have never strength trained before and are kind of going into a fat loss phase and picking up strength training around the same time, or people who were strength trained and have since become deconditioned and are getting back to it. Other than that... Or are on steroids... Well, yeah. (laughs) I have a feeling that's not our target audience, but yes, you're you're so right. Yeah. Um, Overall, though, when you're in a deficit, you well, And okay, actually, I'm going to rewind for a second. Getting stronger and building muscle are not the same thing. And people get a little confused by that. You can build muscle and not get necessarily stronger and vice versa. You can get stronger without really building a ton of muscle. So they aren't one in the same. When you're in a deficit, I do think you can get stronger. I don't think it's the right time to be focusing on building muscle unless you're in one of those groups that I previously mentioned at the top of the question. If you are just your average individual who has maybe strength trained before and now you're in a fat loss phase, focus on the fat loss phase, focus on hitting your nutrition, continue to lift in the gym Get stronger if you can, if you have that energy, but your focus in a deficit when it comes to muscle should be maintaining what you have. And you do that by eating enough protein in a deficit and by continuing to strength train. If Again, we want to talk about ideals. 
right? So ideally, we spend most of our life in maintenance where, yes, you can absolutely build muscle, get stronger in maintenance. In a deficit, you're, the focus is going to be mostly on hitting your nutrition to shed that fat and maintain what you have, like I just said. If you want to go into a dedicated muscle building phase for the vast majority of people, that will require a caloric surplus for a period of time for usually about six months where you are in a surplus intentionally eating a little bit more and you're really pushing it in the gym. That's again, if we're looking at ideals, that's kind of the way to ideally go about building muscle, getting leaner. It's kind of having these cycles throughout the year. Most of the time you want to be in maintenance. You can build muscle in maintenance. I want to emphasize that you shouldn't be necessarily in a cut all of the time. But to answer this individual's question, they might be getting stronger in a deficit, even if a ton of muscle growth isn't happening, or they might fall into one of those populations that I mentioned at the beginning. Maybe they are new to strength training. Maybe they're in a larger body and have a high, you know, a larger amount of weight to lose. And in that case, yeah, you might be building some muscle. But for most people, I would say you're probably not building a ton of muscle while in a caloric deficit. The best I guess it's a parable or maybe a proverb that I've heard to kind of like explain this and wrap this up because I agree with everything you said is if you chase two rabbits, you will not catch either one. So if I'm trying to chase muscle gain and fat loss at the same time, I'm probably not going to be very successful. I mean, take any multitasking opportunity. We're not really crushing either task because our attention is divided. Can it happen? Sure. Like you said, newbie gains are probably like the most common situation where someone is brand new or has been extremely deconditioned and is now just getting back into health and fitness. But for most of us, we're going to see better results if we focus on either fat loss and Strength training, like you said, we can be following a better training program. We can be changing what we're eating and maybe emphasizing more protein. Maybe we weren't getting enough protein in the first place. Now I'm eating enough protein. Of course, that's going to feel better in the gym. Same thing with carbohydrates. Maybe now I'm eating enough carbs where before I was trying to omit them. So that's going to make me stronger in the gym, not necessarily gaining muscle mass, but still getting stronger. And then if I want to build muscle and put on lean mass, I should probably be in a surplus to do that. So can it happen? Yeah, technically. But for most of us, not likely, not the best course of action. Pick one and then chase that. People get impatient. They want it all right now. (laughs) But it really is, like you said, best course of action. Choose a goal. Focus on it for a brief period of time. Spend some time in maintenance. If you have another goal after that time in maintenance, go for it. Choose accordingly. Set expectations accordingly. And understand, too, If you think fat loss is slow, (laughs) building muscle is a slow process. So get ready to be patient and do the work and you'll get there. You know, time's going to pass anyway, but just be aware that building muscle is, is slow. Maintaining muscle is much easier than building it. So that's the good news. But building muscle in itself is a slower process, which is why I said, you know, a lot of times these like time spent lean bulking are several months long. Versus deficits, you want to be, you know, depending, there's so many variables when it comes to how long you're going to be in a deficit for, but it's generally a shorter period than six months. But it always gives me a giggle when people say, oh, I don't want to strength train because I don't want to get big and bulky. I'm like, dude, do you know how hard I have to work for these baby muscles? Yes. <laughs> I would not consider myself a bulky person. And I 
really try in the gym and I've been doing it for years. So you won't get bulky. Ladies, go lift up heavier than you think you can. I think that's also like when it comes to strength gain, I think people gain a lot of strength when they're engaged. And and maybe let's say, for example, it's a new nutrition coaching client. They already have experience in the gym, but now we're giving them some constructive feedback in terms of how they're going to create the best possible results. And so we're challenging them to maybe transition from HIIT workouts or more like metabolic focused workouts to strength training. And they start with like the five pound dumbbells because, you know, that's what society has conditioned women to believe that they can lift. And then all of a sudden, over the course of several weeks or several months, they're like, holy shit, I can do 30 or 35 pounds on this dumbbell bench press. Like it's just realizing what you're capable of. And of course, time under tension, getting your body used to that uh, after workout or workout after workout. And I will say, sure, reaching a fat loss goal feels great. It's exciting, whatever. There is no better feeling than getting stronger in the gym. You feel like such a badass, especially as women, especially like you said, oh my God, who knew I could lift that? Who knew I was that strong? Being able to do, a if you've never done a push-up before and all of a sudden you can do five or 10 or a pull-up or something like that, it is so exciting. There's nothing more gratifying in my opinion. That's what got me in trouble with my back injury this week. I was like, okay, I'm deadlifting 250 pounds for five reps. So that puts me almost at where I was before I fractured my back years ago for my one rep max. Let me do another set. And then I was like, yeah, why did I have to do that? I let my ego get in the way, which sometimes happens, but it is an amazing feeling. Let me tell you when you realize how capable and how strong your body is. We came full circle. I love it. We did. We sure did. Okay. I have to, I forgot to do this at the beginning, but I must highlight a review that we got, Lauren, because we said we were going to pick a review of the podcast and give them a free coaching call with you to talk about maybe what they're struggling with, the barriers that are standing between, between them and their goals. And I don't know who this is. So hopefully they're listening to this episode because if you are N-O-N-I-Q-T, I want you to send me or Coach Lauren a DM because you get a free coaching call and we're going to help you reach your goals. Here's the review titled, One of My Favorites. Nicole has a way of keeping episodes thought-provoking, precise, uh, I don't know about that, relatable and entertaining. I appreciate her attention to detail in each episode. I'm always impressed and waiting for the next episode to drop. Five star emojis. Oh, that's so nice. I am laughing at precise because we are talkers, but (laughs) hopefully you're getting value out of it all. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe just the Q&A episodes get a little long with it, but we're trying to give you as much value as humanly possible. So hopefully you don't mind being along for the ride or you're listening to us at like 1.25 speed, which is my secret hack that I do with all podcasts. Yeah. You said that before. All right. Shoot us a DM. If that's you, we will give you a free coaching call. If you yourself would love a free kickoff coaching call, leave a five-star review. Maybe we'll pick you next time on our next Q&A episode. Catch you on the flip side. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Health, Wealth, and Wisdom Podcast. 
If you like what you heard today, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, and then head on over to nutritioncoachingwithnicole.com where you can sign up for my weekly emails where I send out my favorite tips, tricks, advice, and support every single Monday morning to help you kick your week off right. Thanks for listening. Until next time.